1: Yeah, yeah, but I'm looking and, uh, oh, so at this unclaimed property, uh, where is that? So there's a item number 55 under books, Spider-Man comic book chance encounter. Interesting. Uh, lot 56, a Superman comic book and a Daredevil comic book. You are
0: just the Jedi of finding Collectible comic books. I would have never even begin to think of looking at a state's unclaimed property website to try to find comics.
1: And Lot 57, Rocky and Bullwinkle comic book. Oh. De- Deputy
0: Dog comic book.
1: Mad Magazine, July 1956.
0: Oh my gosh, that may be worth the money. Especially since MAD is coming to an end here. In
1: the what, what if they were subscriptions that are still in the original bag and just were never... Yeah, but it wouldn't have been unclaimed for f- since 1956 since they do the sale annually or semi-annually or whatever it is. I <laughs> Well, honestly... The only reason I'm there is because I think it was it was on the news, I don't know, several months ago about, hey, you could have unclaimed lot, you know, property, blah blah blah. Here's the website you go to find out, you know, one of those in, you know, personal interest stories on there. Right. And so I went to look and it's like I don't I there was nothing for me, but I think my wife had like two bucks somewhere. But but anyway, so I got on their mailing list, so I just got the email this evening about, hey, the the unclaimed Property auction in Springfield is this this weekend. Don't forget it. And you, they actually have the book on there, so you can go and you can sit there and look at all the lots. And so they had. I thought, I well, wonder if there's any comic books. There's lots of coins. There's all kinds of coins at this unclaimed auction.
0: I can imagine, but yeah, I see that, and I've read stories on that. That yeah, most states have millions of dollars of unclaimed property, and they can come from any number. of... Of sources. Somebody closes a checking account and leaves $26 in there. you know, <laughs> you know And then and it stays there for a while and then the, the financial institution will turn it over to the state at some point. I don't know anything about the laws or regulations of it, but apparently, yeah, all you have to do is contact them and if you can give them valid identification, you can get this unclaimed property because they can't, I don't know what the laws are, they I would think after a while, the state could use the money with themselves or something, but they don't seem to do that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Well, it was interesting, but yes, yes. Anytime, you know, my first reaction whenever I see anything is, I wonder if they got comics. <laughs> That's
0: a good, <laughs> good mindset to have. One that I don't. I don't just naturally think, I wonder if they've got comics.
1: Oh, I see an antique store. I'm like, I wonder if they got comics. I see a, a yard sale. I wonder if they got comics. Well, oh, yeah. there's a there's an auction. Mm, I wonder if they got comics.
0: <laughs> Things like that, <laughs> I understand, but yeah, I would not have thought about unclaimed property, but I may actually go look at that.
1: Oh, so, mightn't you yeah, now? I might. What? Right, so for there in Texas? Ooh, Texas probably has a humongous unclaimed property vault.
0: I'm I'm, I'm no doubt they do. So. I may have to start looking into that. I might actually find some cash money that I left somewhere thirty years ago that I can get back now. But a lesson to be learned. Well, you've stumbled onto Best of the Rest, an indie comics podcast. I'm oh, is that
1: what is that what this is?
0: That's what this is. Yes. Mm. And apparently, unclaimed property is goes into. The category of the rest.
1: Oh yeah, well I still don't think this tops our hey episode.
0: Well no, not no it probably doesn't. But <laughs> since it is somewhat t- t- tied into comic books, Rocky and Bullwinkle definitely would be indie comics. Yeah,
1: I am intrigued.
0: I'm intrigued by that Superman and Daredevil book. Yes, that's not one I ever recall. I
1: mean, I mean that could be no no it's it's two different books. There's a Superman book and a Daredevil oh. book. Right? And it's like, hmm, those could be from the sixties or those could be from
0: last year. Yeah, you never know.
1: I may have to send Ronnie on a scouting mission.
0: Ronnie who's I've given him the new nickname Ronnie Rabbit Hole Baron. Because Oh,
1: why all, is that?
0: All you have to do is send him like you did, you sent that a link to that website for collectible toys. Oh, yeah, the robots I mean, from the from the 1940s and 50s. Yes, and he immediately goes off and looks at that. Or I will send him something I find on eBay, and he's like, "Damn it, I got to go look at that." He will jump down any rabbit hole that he can find. Pretty much. You sure he's so,
1: just he's not just a squirrel shiny or no raccoon shiny objects.
0: Well, there's probably some truth to that, but.
1: Oh, I'm kind of yeah. like that
0: myself. You well, can easily distract me. We all are to some degree, but. He seems to be especially vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a couple things I wanted to talk about starting off with tonight. If you will indulge me. All right, let's indulge. And
1: this is going to be totally off the cuff because I have no idea what you want to be indulged in.
0: No, I know, because I haven't told you. This actually got started on an episode of the Bat Pod a couple of episodes <laughs> back where Bill, Martin, and I got a little off The topic, and we're talking about comic book reviews, particularly ones that are written on websites, blogs, and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I just mentioned off the cuff that I had written for a blog for a time until I got disillusioned with it. But and then I said, made the comment that I wasn't about to go off and tell the story; it would get us off track. Well, our good friend Nick Wetmore from the Nerdy Legion podcast tweeted about it and said, maybe Jay would like to talk about this on Best of the Rest sometime. So I would like to do this for Nick. And it does tie into Indie Comics because most of the reviews I wrote for that blog were for Indie Comics. So this starts in
1: 2016.
0: Okay. And, of course... people may or may not know that we have a discord channel that all of us podcasters and the nerdy Legion network communicate on back then we didn't have it. This is before discord. We were, we were all on a Slack channel, which had started out as a way for valiant fans to communicate and stay together. Martin started that Slack channel based on who all was had logged into our memberships of the Valiant database which was a database he collected uh, started of cataloging all of the Valiant issues both from the 90s and from VH1 or VI Well somebody on that one of the people on that and I'm not going to give names of any of this stuff because I'm not want to come off as this being a harangue against comic book reviews or any websites because it's not these were nice people. I just, I'm just relating my experience. But one of the people on there mentioned that he wrote reviews for a particular website. And I mentioned that that sounded like something I would be interested in. He put me in contact with one of the associate editors and I got a quote unquote job writing reviews. Now everybody associated this was just... Volunteers, and nobody was doing this for any money at all, just like most like we do with these podcasts. We just do it because we enjoy doing it and we like to communicate. So, but I became a reviewer for this website, and the way that it worked is that there was a Facebook page, private Facebook page, that all the reviewers were part of. And once a week, and it was usually Friday afternoon, one of the associate editors. Would go out there and start making posts of comic books that we had review copies for. He'd make a post and say, "Hey, I've got uh, XO amount of War number whatever is ready," or uh, you know, an IDW or anything. We, we most it mostly did independent comics. I don't remember much in the way of the big two reviews done on that particular block. And so he would post these out, and then whoever would read it would re- reply to the post. Yeah, I'd like to take it. I'll do the review. And if more than one person wanted to do a review, that was fine. They didn't mind multiple reviews being done.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. So um, or anytime you have questions, yeah, feel free to interrupt no, me. No. So you would get this, you know, say, yeah, I'd like to do that. And then – he would send you a link to Google Database that we had, where you get the review copy and read it and write your review, and then you posted it out on a on um, a WordPress document, and where they edited it, optimized it for search engine optimization and the like, and then published it. And we had a specific format. It was like we, we had need to have a minimum of 300 words. There wasn't really a maximum, but few reviews I ever saw went more than five or 600 words. And essentially, the structure was, you needed at least three paragraphs. An introductory paragraph, where you kind of talked about the book, then a paragraph where you reviewed the writing, third paragraph where you reviewed the art, and then you could write a conclusion. And then we had to give ratings, three ratings. Rating for the writing, zero to five, Rating for the art, 0 to 5, and overall, 0 to 5. So that's the way that it worked. And then it would be, like I say, they would take it, edit it, put it out to the blog website. And actually, a lot of the reviews would be picked up by an even bigger website that kind of went out and culled all of the review websites and picked up reviews so that you would, like it would pick up all of the reviews that it could find out on the internet for that particular book, whether it be X O or Forty Eight, whatever. And so that was a way we would get a little bigger exposure. Well, as I like, I took this pretty seriously. I've always fancied myself a pretty good writer, and I've always done pretty well. I actually took a couple of graduate level writing courses back in the mid nineties. And I would do a pretty good job. I would spend at least two to three hours working on one of these reviews, trying to get it in good shape. And it, but I, as I, the weeks and then months rolled on, I started noticing a couple of things. Number first thing I noticed was that there were certain people that only wanted to review certain books. Like there were reviewers they only wanted to review Valiant books. So there were others that only wanted to review IDW books, and that's okay. That's you know, I None of us were being paid for this, but a lot of the books from some of the smaller press, a lot of these would go unclaimed and nobody would ever write a review on them. I was one of the few that would go out and pick up something I had never even heard of or wasn't even aware of or didn't even seem particularly interested in. I thought that was kind of my job as a reviewer to not just get the stuff that I wanted enjoyed reading. That was the first thing I noticed. The f- second thing I noticed was that a lot of the people that would sing out saying, I would like to review this book, we'd never see a review from them. They'd never publish anything. Every f- few months, usually about every four or five months, one of the associate editors would come out and say, look, if you're not going to write reviews, we need to. you need to let us know. We'll put you... On inactive or delete you from our roster, however, we wanted to do that. And kind of the, I was looking at it a little bit cynically. I'm thinking, you know, maybe some of these people are just doing this or to get review copies, advanced copies of the, the books. Also, I kind of started looking at this structure and I thought, well, this is kind of a limited structure of what we had to do. You know, we had to follow specific guidelines, a paragraph about the writing, a paragraph about the art, all these ratings, and it's very difficult to write a good comic book review. I don't think any of the ones I wrote were particularly insightful or good, because you just can't do it if you've got a very rigid format. And writing a comic book review is a damn difficult thing to do, and they're I think there are very few that are done very well. That's not anybody's fault in particular. I think it's just like some of these web, these blog sites put a structure on there that keeps you from being as creative as you would like to be. Um, so I started getting kind of disillusioned with that. And then I I began to also notice that very few comments were made about any of these reviews. Usually people will get out there and, Say, oh, great job. You did. I really agree with this. Or they'll take you, they'll challenge you and say, you're full of it. It's, I don't agree with this whatsoever. And I really started to believe that very few people were actually reading these damn things. I think m- a big number of people were just going out there to look at the ratings to see if they wanted to buy it or not. Oh, wow, this has got a 4.5. And that was another thing I noticed that seems like nearly every rating people were putting out there were fours, four and a half, sometimes fives. And I would think, this can't be true. Not every comic book out there is a four or a four and a half. Even the best writers stumble every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think part of that was due to the fact that a lot of these people were only reviewing the books from the publishers they liked. and That they had kind of a an inherent bias for that particular publisher, you know, somebody liked Van. So they weren't Lincoln's getting book. they weren't getting out
1: of yeah they weren't getting out of their wheelhouse what they liked you know trying something new right just the and it, you got to cleanse the palate every once in a while
0: right and that's what I would do but it seemed like that's not what most of the people were doing and again I don't really fault anybody everybody was just doing this voluntarily they weren't getting paid so. But still, I just became really disillusioned to saying that we're really, these reviews are not very indicative of what these books are really like. Are they really this good? Or are they not this good? It's just sort of a lot of people's opinions. Yeah, so I mean, so I
1: know this for a tangent on that. What makes a good book to you? I mean, you were saying reviews of comic books are difficult. And I can see that because you got 32 It's usually part of a story, so how do you review a part of a story?
0: Well, that's part of the challenge, and that's why I think there's very, very few reviewers out there who can do it well. Uh, So so does that mean
1: mean it's easier to review a trade paperback?
0: I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, I, I reviewed one entire, it was in a full graphic novel that you know, I thought it was easier to review because I had 160, 70 pages of artwork and narration to go by, and a full story, mm-hmm. front, middle, and end, beginning, middle, and end. So, yeah, in that sense, it was easier to do. But, it, again, you have to think about these reviews is really they're just opinions. That's all they are, or an opinion, one person's opinion. Now, somebody will come up and say, well, what what makes what you did as a writing review different than what you do on a podcast? Well, on a podcast, I just pretty much say, I think I've always made it clear that this is just my opinion of this book. And for me, what makes a good book? uh, Is the writing clear? Is it hard to follow? Does it, if it's convoluted, doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad book. And I wouldn't, I never really came out and said in any review that I ever did that the writing was bad or the art was bad. I would say if I had problems following it, I would say if the art was unappealing to me, and I would try to give a description of the art, which is something else I noticed not many people did. Nobody ever tried to clarify it because there's very, very few good words. People will say things like, oh, it's cartoony or it's sketchy. Or it's mm-hmm. photorealistic, and okay, that you can kind of get an idea of what they're talking about. But one person's idea of what cartoony is may be completely different from what somebody else's idea of cartoony is. They would, the publisher uh, on this, list and the editors would usually put a page or two of an example, so you get to see what the art looked like. But I never came right out and said, you know, this is bad art this is bad writing this is a bad book I would I would give it is my opinion I thought you know this didn't appeal to me for some reason and here's why it didn't appeal to me but a lot of people were didn't do that they came right back out with especially if they thought it was great they would say "Oh, this book is one of the fabulous books and it's you know and again I've started noticing this inherent what I call thought was bias of you know, okay, this person loves Valiant books, and every Valiant book they read, unless it just is a complete miss, it's going to be a great book. So I got really disillusioned with this, and especially when I kind of started realizing that I don't didn't think a lot of people were reading this, especially as the re- reviews that were picked up for this larger blog, where it would mm-hmm. show it would show all the reviews that it picked up for this particular book. I think people were just scanning through there and look at it. And it would, it would, I had all all the ratings up in it for a composite score. And I would think, you know, these people are just looking at the ratings and they say, oh, this has a, you know, three and a half. I don't think I want to buy this book. Oh, it's a four and a half. I think I will buy it. And I just got to the point where it was, I'm spending way too much time and too much effort. I'm really trying to do a good job writing these reviews. And I just don't think that. It's worth what I'm doing because I don't think people are really taking it all that serious. Plus, like I say, writing a good review, I started to realize was damn difficult. And this kind of was a limited structure that didn't allow me to go off and write the type of review that I might want to write. So I gave it up. So that is that story. So I hope that answered your question, Nick.
1: Yeah, so interesting there. So, I mean... Yeah, I've never done reviews and all that just because I just didn't care much for uh, book reports in school. So why do I want to do that for fun? I'm more on the hard sciences, not the uh, not the Englishes, not the writing. Right. I I think it's a neat skill to have. I wish I could sit down and write a novel, but mm, just
0: not me. And subsequently, because of all that, I stopped reading all reviews. I just don't care to read comic book reviews anymore because I just don't – most of them don't appeal to me, or I don't think they're well done or as in-depth as they might need to be. Again, I'm not trying to – because I'm saying none of the reviews I wrote I think now was a good review or or really well – particularly well done because I was locked into a structure. So what makes a good review? It would have to be – I think a good review would have to be much longer than 350, 400 words. I think you would have to have a reviewer who knew a lot about the comic book industry, not just the creative process but the back end as well, mm-hmm. understanding that you know this is a business and that this has to be printed and distribute it, and it goes through multiple phases, and there's colorists involved, and letters. That was another thing. I would always mention the colorist. I would hardly ever see anybody who would say anything about the colorist of a book in one of these reviews, and that is exceedingly important. I mean, you can have a great penciler and inking. If the color is not right, it can make or break somebody's experience of a book. So I think it just, you would have to, have somebody who's not locked into a particular structure who would have given enough time and enough words, a couple of thousand words, which, again, that would really limit because very few people are wanting to sit down and read a 2,000, 2,500-word review on a single issue of a comic book. I don't think there'd be very many people at all that would go into that. I just was like, uh... And, you know, give something other than the four out of five, five out of five rating system, because that's arbitrary as well.
1: Uh, The Homer, the Homer rating.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have great answer. I can't, I don't, I can't sit here and say, I know exactly what a good comic book review should be, but, and I have some of those ideas of what it should entail. Yeah.
1: There you go. So there. So you've you've stopped. So when you were reading reviews, what were some of the sites you were, or, or do you even want to talk about that? Watching,
0: I I don't want what to. What you were reading. I don't want to put out any names because I don't want to come off like, sounding like I'm bashing or haranguing anyone because, you know, they were these were good people. I didn't dislike any of them. They were doing really think they were doing a, a good job. I don't want to I don't want to come out for or against any particular site because.
1: Yeah, I guess the only thing I read about on comic books now is the previews, so I can know what I'm gonna order for the next month. Right. I've 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 not got that check all box that some people do.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely read the previews, and I even read, but I read that, you know, with a bit of a skeptical eye, knowing that this is written for um, really comic book shop owners. And I know people will tell me that publishers love comic book reviews. They it really helps them out. Well, yeah, it does. Especially if you've got people who are uh, writing reviews that like that particular publisher or that particular series and are giving it high rates. I think they publishers think that reviews help their sales and maybe they do.
1: So, well, you know, it's kind of like no publicity, no, uh, no PR is, oh, bad PRs better
0: than no PR. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's, something to say about that. So, so you yeah, know, just get a name out there, get
1: the exposure out there, just put some more eyeballs on it. Yes. So. Cool, cool. So, anything else come out of the pod that you want to pontificate on?
0: No, nothing of that. I have something else, though, I would like to talk about. All right. Set that agenda. Well, if you've you got anything to talk about, I just, this is something else that came up.
1: Oh, I I could talk about all kinds of stuff.
0: Well, I'm sure this will... This next subject, you will have some things to say about. I found Mm -hmm. out on eBay, just Mm -hmm. looking around, a copy of... It's called The Unofficial Underground and New Wave Comics Price Guy. Comics spelled with a... X. X. So this is Underground Comics and New Wave Comics. And this is... This is the first edition of a book that was published in 1982, compiled by a man named Jay Kennedy, and it is – he compiled as many of the underground comics as he could from the early 60s to
1: 1982. So it's all – it's just an index of all the stuff Crumb did.
0: Yes. It's similar – no, well, there's much more than Crumb. (laughs) I I guess the best way to – think this is this is sort of the underground version of Overstreet Overstreet yeah this is sort of the underground version of Overstreet it's kind of Ooh, an
1: and, and for a tangent on that well I'll let you finish and then I've got a tangent I want to ask
0: okay so I found this book and I it was less than $15 with shipping so I said I got to get this because I'm curious about to look at like this and it's a first edition of this book it uh, had a cover price of nine ninety five. I say it was put together um, in 1982 by Jay Kennedy. And now I'm thumbing through this, and a lot of interesting things here. First of all, it says this is a reference book, it's not a catalog. And it talks about that the addresses that he puts in here were the addresses at the time that these were published, that they may not necessarily be accurate. And if you're interested in ordering any of these comics from the publisher, write to them first and enclose a self-addressed stamped envelope, which took me back because in this electronic age, I'm trying to remember the last time I sent anybody a letter and included a self-addressed stamped envelope. And I cannot recall the last time I've done that. <laughs> anyway, the layout of this thing, first, about 50 pages are just a series of articles that talk about comics, underground comics, kind of how they came about, certain publishers like Educomics, which I didn't even know exists, uh, Kitchen Sink, Corrupt Comics, that I was aware of. So you get 50 pages of this really interesting stuff that kind of fills you in on about how underground comics came about and... How they differed from mainstream comics, and the big difference was that these were mostly done by people out of their own houses or in their garage. They didn't go through any kind of a publishing. They were they did the writing themselves, they did the drawing themselves, they printed themselves, they mailed it out. There was not really a network. These didn't show up in comic book shops. They would show up in uh, head shops and. You know, people would write back and forth, write letters, you know, became kind of an unofficial network of back when we had the paper Internet, which was letter writing. (laughs) Um, Is that what you refer to it? (laughs) Yes. paper, Paper Internet, back when people used to send letters and write to each other. Uh, if you'd have said
1: paper internet, I would have thought you would have talked about a library and everybody had their own internet.
0: Well, internet. that's that's another version, that's another aspect of the paper internet, I guess.
1: You Ooh, and then you get into your Dewey Decimal system and then one of those Dewey Decimal filing cabinets.
0: Right. And there's an article on here about, uh, you know, grading and they use the same grading scale and conservation and they recommended Mylar. This is back in 1982. They were recommending Mylar. not my lights this wasn't my lights the back cover of this to get off on another tangent is an advertisement for a company called Bill Cole Enterprises that uh, sold these products one of them was called Time Lock, the world's first self-locking Mylar sleeve Mm -hmm. archival quality acid-free boxes Bill Cole Enterprises in Wollaston, Massachusetts and I actually went out and looked to see if this company was still in business, because I've not heard about them. I found references up to about 2010, so they were they were still in business up to around 2010. After that, I don't find anything, so I don't think they're still in business. So E Gerber would be the place now where Justin and I have a lot of people ordered their um, Mylar things from. But that was pretty interesting. So then you get into the catalog itself and I'll tell you right now anybody that gets a copy of this book needs to invest in a magnifying glass as well.
1: Oh, is it small print? Oh, the or... print
0: is like I think what what's the standard default for like word is 10 points.
1: 10 points or 11? I don't 10 know. 10 points or 11.
0: A lot of this I would print I would put 2 point, maybe even 1 point. It is just microscopic. So, yeah, you've either got to get a magnifier, use a magnifier on your phone or actually a magnifying glass to read it. And it gives all the information that they could get. It's pretty comprehensive. Uh, But some of the interesting books that I found in here that I would just kind of go through. Um, Here's a book. This is the cheapest cover price I found in here, a comic book called The Armpit of Fear seven cents really from August of 1972 it was published by a company place called the San Francisco Comic Book Company Uh, seven cent cover price eight pages it was worth they had a first edition and they were assuming near mint on on this when they priced these first editions Five dollars at the time. Over here. Ah. An underground comic called Bizarre Sex. Number one issue. The title story was The Giant Penis That Invaded New York. Oh, okay. And on the cover, yes, you have a giant penis that is coming up through the bottom from the sidewalk. And the crowd is scattering. (laughs) Uh, This is from May of 1972. Kitchen Sink Comics was the publisher. It had a 50-cent cover price. A near mint first edition in 1982 was worth $10. I have no no idea what these would cost today.
1: Oh, wouldn't it be an Overstreet? It might be an Overstreet. Ooh, let me pull Uh, down my copy. What was the name of it? uh, Bizarre Sets. Oh, okay, let's see. B-A-Z-A-R-R-E. So, I've got a feeling that uh, Mr. Overstreet probably did not include that, but
0: I, never, uh... At least not the cover image, because like I said, it is pretty graphic.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure there's, you know... Other, let's see, there is Bizarre Adventures, Bizarro, Bizarro Comics, Bizarro World, and then we get to Black Adam, so nope.
0: I kind of think Overstreet stays away from the underground, because it's, a lot of the stuff is just, you know, was very counterculture, very hippie, heavily into drug themes, some of it was just outright pornographic, as we just saw with that. And a lot of it was rather sexist, if not downright misogynistic. I mean, a lot of women were not portrayed well in these Mm -hmm. comics. Here's one uh, called Bob Man and Teddy, which is a complete knockoff of Batman and Robin. And on the (laughs) cover, cover you have these characters, and their uniforms are almost identical, except they're not wearing masks at all. Their faces are uncovered. Teddy, the, who's the Robin, the sidekick, has a T on his chest instead of an R. And instead of bat ears, bat Bob Man is wearing what looks like <laughs> mouse ears, similar to Mickey Mouse ears.
1: Defluter Miles?
0: Yes. So, Bob Man and Teddy, 1966 Parallax Comics book in New York City. It had a $1 cover price, the first edition in 1982, was $15. So I started to say, okay, what's the most expensive one I could find in here? And I knew it would be a crump, something crump. It would either be Fritz the Cat or probably Zap Comics. Yeah,
1: So that would be a pretty good guess.
0: I went and found Fritz the Cat, number one, October 69. This actually was from Ballantine Books. He had a reputable publisher with this. At a cover price of $2.95, it was 68 pages. The first print, the first print in 1982 was $54. And in the center of this book, it has a color section with a lot of cover color representation of covers. Mm-hmm. But then, and the most expensive I found, and this is not a surprise, was Zap Comics number one from no The cover date was November of 67, but it didn't actually hit the stands until February of 68. Published by Apex Novelties. 24 pages. It had a cover price of $0.24. No, $0.25. A first edition near mint in 1982 was $140. I have no idea what that would be today. Much more than that. Hmm. Anyway, I, I, like I say, I paid fifteen, sixteen dollars. It's given me at least that much in entertainment and comedic returns. So.
1: Yeah. So it, the the new Overstreet did come out, and I'm trying to figure out what do I do with my old Overstreet's.
0: Um. I don't know. Maybe somebody collects old Overstreet's. <laughs>
1: Well, if somebody collects old overstreets, I'll send them my last, (laughs) let's see, I think I got one, two, three, four, five, six, the last seven years. Right. Because you get the new one, it automatically obsoletes the old one. Now, I will say there is some good reading in there for the collector, but I will say that reading is, oh, good Lord, I don't know, 40 or 50 pages in a small font. Right. In a book.
0: Oh, I'm like I said. I'm literally. I think the print in this, for most of these, is is one point. You cannot read it without a magnifying aid of some sort. And it's woefully out of date, of course. I mean, '82. (laughs) Good grief.
1: Well, I will say I do have a Overstreet Price Guide from 1976, issue number six. So I I do have that that I'm not getting rid of.
0: No, I would keep that for damn sure.
1: Yeah, and so, would you like to know any prices from 1976? And I will say it's a nice Will Eisner cover with uh, the Spirit on there. And, uh, ooh, I'm looking at this, and I see something that is totally non-PC. Wow, <laughs> I had not noticed that until I just looked at this, and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know they would do this in 1976. You'd be surprised. So,
0: But yeah, yeah. there you Give go. Give me uh, some examples of what things we're running for in
1: Oh, do we want to do something random? Let's do something random. I'm going to randomly open it and see what's familiar on here. Ooh. All right. I am in the bees, and there's some Blackhawks. I know Blackhawks are uh, highly collectible. Uh, number Issue number nine from 1944 in a mint condition, because back in 1976, you either had good, fine, or mint. Right. It's $100 for a mint copy of issue number nine from 1944. Wow. The Frank Frazetta reprint, issue number 118, is like 12 bucks in mint.
0: Uh, oh, a little bit more than that today.
1: The first killer shark was $8. Let's see. What else is on here? Um, there's Black Magic, which was from 1950. I wonder if it becomes Cool Cat. I have never heard of that. A Simon and Kirby story. Uh, issue one, a mint is 20 bucks. So, you know what? There's not much here for much re- reference. Let's, let's, oh, you know what? Let's, let's go with the standards. And yeah. I know we're, we're kind of getting to the big two. That's okay. Let us, let's, let us go for the standard. What is an action comics number one? In what 70- is your
0: guess for 1976? In 76, I would say. That was just sort of the start. And we'll say mint. 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 If you if you could even find one, which I'm going to say fifteen thousand dollars. You could have got the price guide for an Action Comics number
1: one from June of 1938 in 1976,
0: forty two hundred dollars. Damn, son of a bitch. And there's less than mints now going for four million dollars plus.
1: Yep. Okay, let's go for the other big one. Let's go for a Detective 27 in 1976. I would only have been six years old, so there's no way I could have got any of these, but. All right, let's see, Detective, Detective. What's your guess on Detective? Now that you've kind of gotten oriented with the the action. Uh,
0: I'm thinking 76, boy, that was a time when Batman was not popular at all. So I'm thinking you could have gotten that one. <arus> uh, t- 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 I'm going to lowball this, probably, but I'm going to say
1: $800. Okay. Detective 27, the first appearance of The Batman,
0: capitalized,
1: The Batman.
0: The Batman, yeah, that's true. And Commissioner Gordon
1: by Bob Kane, which we know that's not true. A mint condition, 3500
0: Wow. That's higher than I thought because.
1: Yeah, you know, what Detective Comics number one, a mint copy, was only four hundred and fifty dollars compared to issue twenty-seven there. But
0: that you know what? Sense. That's in seventy.
1: That's in nineteen seventy-six dollars too. So. Right. I don't. Uh, yeah. That is the one thing we're missing from this. The. Yeah, but what would be a uh? What would be what would be a what would be a what would be a, would be a median week's salary in seventy-six? oh gosh Duck, duck go
0: yeah I was gonna say I'd have to look that up because I couldn't even begin to guess
1: let's see uh, doo, 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 doo. and 1976 so I guess I gotta say United States too all right okay oh I don't want 2016 oh what was the medium income in 1976 so the medium money and uh, all right well wow, this is just taking a lot of time to find.
0: That's okay. Mm-hmm. We've got time. Yeah. Or listen this right. time.
1: So it's saying a median was twelve thousand six hundred and ninety dollars. I don't know if that tells me anything. Does that tell me anything?
0: Well, yeah, it's so twelve thousand thirty five hundred, so that's what, about a third of a year's salary? So median salary?
1: Maybe this is a better. So it's going to be March uh, March 1978, 18.2% of the United States out of the households had made $25,000 or more. And another another 27% of households had an income between 15,000 and 25,000. And then you had 16.5% of households had incomes under
0: $5,000. Right. So, okay, if you take $25,000, so... Uh, Let's say, yeah, $25,000. 25000 divided by 3500 That's about one-seventh so, of, of a year's income.
1: All right, so... So, would you spend one-seventh of your annual income now for uh, Detective Twenty Seven?
0: No, because a Detective Twenty Seven now is worth two million dollars, and I don't I don't make seven times. I, uh, no, 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 I'm, no, no, no.
1: No, I asked it the other way. Would oh. you spend if you could buy a Detective Twenty Seven for one seventh of your annual income? Would you do it?
0: Well, hell yes, I would do it. I'd find <laughs> a way to finance it, but uh, yes, there's definitely I would do it.
1: Yeah. Ooh, I just was uh, wandering around through here, and let's see. Here's a world's finest number one in mint condition from spring of 1941. Was 300. dollars We had the Batman, Superman, Crimson Avenger, Johnny Thunder, the King, Young Doctor Davis, Zatara, Lando, Mana Magic, Mana Magic, and Red, White, and oh, Red, White, and Blue begins. And you had the Origin of Scarecrow. I wonder which. Scarecrow, that is. Don't know. Yeah, I find the old... Actually, you know my LCS got uh, first uh, Overstreet comic book price guide number one. Wow. I The other day. Now it had some stains and such on it. But it was still complete in good shape except for the stains. Is so... he trying to resell it? Uh, he doesn't know if he's going to sell it or keep it. Okay. But do you know how much an Overstreet number one goes for? Don't know. Because there, there is a section in the Overstreet price guide for the price of old previous Overstreet price guides. So a So a first printing of the first Overstreet price guide in 1970... And the difference between the first printing and the second printing is the first printing is white, second printing is blue. So, um, they only give one price. So the prices below are near mint condition. So a near mint 1970 Overstreet price guide for comics is nineteen hundred and fifty dollars. Nice. A second printing is sixteen hundred dollars. So, the those first few years it looks like they're eh, they're a pretty decent return it looks like until you get into probably nineteen ninety
0: four. Right. I'm trying to think seventy six. Oh, yeah,
1: that's probably about right. Once you get to from the late eighties into the early nineties, I guess they got published a lot, so Right. They're
0: about they're still about cover price. I'm trying to think 76 about what issue numbers of Batman and Detective Comics were out about that
1: period. Oh, I can tell. Well, I can tell you what the latest ones were in the guide at. Yeah, i do that. All right, 76. That would have been Neil, the Neil Adams run, wouldn't it? In the early yeah, 70s? Yeah. Danny, Danny O'Neill, Neil Den, Adams?
0: Danny O'Neill, Neil Adams, yeah.
1: Let's see, the Batman. Ah, uh, oh, there's Batwoman. There's the Batman, 1940 to present. Oh, the first Batman, Batman number one, was only $1,600 in 1976. And in issue two, then drops down to $450. And by the time you get to the intro for Alfred, at and, and issue number 16, they're like $30 an issue.
0: Damn. Damn! <sighs> what? Well, I still, in '76, I was only 15 years old. I still didn't have money to buy any of that stuff.
1: Yeah, but like issue 81, two face, of, like from issue 71 on, they're like eight bucks, four bucks, two bucks, eighty cents, sixty cents. Ah, uh, but that doesn't answer the question. The last issue they have in here in 1976 is issue 275
0: for 40 cents in mint condition. Batman 275. Nice. What was Detective Comics? Ooh, let's look at the, the tech.
1: You're not one of those persons that uh,
0: detest the use of the word tech for detective, are you? I do use the word tech. I don't detest it. No, I use it all the time. It used to annoy Ronnie quite a bit, but he finally came.
1: He finally wisened around. up.
0: He kind of came around to it.
1: All right. Detective Comics. It looks like issue 460. Okay. For 40 cents. Batman. So that just, tell, that just tells you how soon Detective started before Batman.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it was... That, Detective started in 38. Batman started in 40. So it wasn't but a couple of years. So I'm not sure interesting very interesting
1: oh I do like under detective 27 there is a there is an italics under they give the price guide and it says under that prices vary widely on this book (laughs) yes ooh the first the first penguin is $50 wow
0: when's the first joker first joker was batman number one Oh, was it? Was he in that? Yep. Or was that Red Hood? No, that was Batman. That was Joker. Batman number one.
1: Alrighty then. Oh, what else? You know what? Hmm. Well, I don't know. We can keep on doing this or we can just kind of find something more entertaining for our listeners.
0: Or we can just call it a night. Well, we can kind of end real quickly on giving a couple of books that you've read recently that you've really enjoyed.
1: Ooh, indie, indie, because let us see. I'm trying to think.
0: I know, House of X number four, best thing you ever read. Oh,
1: God, it was. That was such a good book. Ooh. You know what? I've really been enjoying Fallen World from uh, Valiant. I thought that was a really well-done
0: series. That's where I was really, I really was impressed with Dr. Mirage number one. Mags thought (sighs) It's got a really good premise to start.
1: Yeah, I guess the bad thing is I did a, uh, I did an assort of uh, or sorting this or, I did some housekeeping and I put all my books up so I don't have anything in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> to tell you what I've really read that I've been, I, I want to think there was something. There's something I've read recently, indie wise, that I'm like, oh, that was really good. I really enjoyed that.
0: Did you read Mall Number One from Vault? Yeah, I read that. That was pretty good. Michael Rixey, I'm yeah. enjoying that.
1: Let me see. I'm trying to... Where is one of my spreadsheets? Uh, da, da, da. Let us see. I can bring... it. All right, let's see. Um, how are you liking the latest stuff from uh, Ahoy?
0: Uh, mixed. I mean, Planet of the Nerds, I kind of fell off of... They're getting ready to start. Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror back again. Hashtag danger. I didn't like Uh, uh, Bronze Age Boogie. I'm really enjoying.
1: Yeah, actually, that's pretty good. Yeah, I I do like that. I think there's only one more issue of that, isn't there?
0: I think so. Yeah. Uh, I'm not as the, uh, the the second round of the Ahoy books didn't appeal to me as much as the first ones did.
1: Uh, are you enjoying uh, five years?
0: I am enjoying five years. Terry Moore is doing a great job on that, as he does on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still uh, hanging, after two issues, I'm still hanging with Black Hammer Justice League crossover. It is crazy, twisted, funny, all in the same time. It's yeah, but it's actually a
1: pretty good crossover.
0: It is. They're doing a, he's doing a good job with it, so I'm I'm staying with it.
1: Uh, well, you know, I'm looking more over that. I'm uh, Black Science is about the end after its 30-something or 40-something issue run from Remender. There's actually I thought there was a couple bunch of th- lows about the end too from him. So he's got a bunch of his image titles ending. So I wonder what he's going to do after that.
0: I'm not reading much from Image right now. Oh, are you not? Nope, not. Um, trying to think of what else. I've got. Oh, Strange Lands, which is part of Humanoids' new shared universe.
1: Yeah, title. how do you liking
0: that? I'm liking it. Uh, that particular, I didn't stay with the first title, Ignition, that came out, and then I started reading mm-hmm. the second one, Strange Lands, because it was written by Mags Visaggio. And I may have to go back because it does, it's more tied in than I thought it was going to be. I thought you could probably read some of these titles independently, and it's not turning out that way. Oh, can you too, not? Too easily. So I may have to go back and read Ignition. But uh, Strange Lands, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm liking so far. Um, you know, Fault is just doing all kinds of good stuff. Aftershock. When did they just come out? With Mary Shelley Monster Hunter is probably my favorite aftershock book that's coming out right now. Is it?
1: I mean, I I, I enjoyed reading all that, but I like um. it.
0: I just really like the artwork.
1: Okay, I can see that. I can see that. Um, Die dies back for its second arc, and I'm really enjoying Die. Actually, you know, I got to check because he was coming out with his own RPG based on Die.
0: Not reading that one. A New Dead Eyes is coming out. That was in this past month's previews.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Some interesting things coming out in the near future. But those are just a few of the books that I have read recently. Uh,
1: let's see. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm still enjoying Robotech, but I kind of talk about that. All the time, so I'm not going to go any more into that. Um, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm just really enjoying all the vault stuff right now, honestly. Heathen, they had another couple issues of Heathen come out, which is pretty good. Um, really wish they'd finish the Savage Shores. Uh, Resonant was really good. I've got read two issues of that that have come out. Um, Sarah and the Royal Stars, yeah, that's that's actually been pretty good. Of course, it seems a little more YA than I thought it was going to be, but eh, I I still like
0: it. I tend to agree with that, yeah.
1: So, yeah. yeah, I know there's some pretty good stuff out there. I'm trying to think if there's anything coming out. I mean, I've gone through the latest issue of previews, and I was trying to think if there's something new coming out that I'm really excited about. But You know, I think it's the end of the summer, getting into the fall. I think they're gearing up for the holiday releases and everything. I mean, hey, what do you think about those acetate covers from D.C. that they were advertising in the last one.
0: I didn't order them. I just – I didn't think they were worth the extra price. And having to order them months ahead of – or a couple of months ahead of when you'd have to order the regular issue, I just passed on them. All right, yeah. My other
1: question other uh, that I had earlier was like, what do you do with uh, old Overstreets? Oh, and I did notice something else new in the new Overstreet. Did you know there was like a Victorian age of comics? Yes, they have a Victorian age now. So we had a Platinum age, I knew for a while, but I maybe they had it the last one. but I noticed for the first time in this Overstreet that there's a Victorian age. Never heard of it. And let's see, Victorian age, and then they give it, there's a nice long article because I guess that's their justification for having a, a Victorian age. Comic strips in, the Victorian age, comic strips in books, 1646 to 1900. Origins of early American comic strips before the Yellow Kid.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's...
1: By Robert Lee Beerbohm, Richard Samuel West, and Richard D. Olson, Ph.D. from 2019.
0: Right. I, uh, yeah, I that would make sense. Victorian age. I've really Thank never you. heard of it referred to as an age, but yeah, before the Yellow Kid was, because the yeah, Yellow Kid I... is usually considered one of the first modern comic strips.
1: Yeah, I know, but I mean, this is like. 1646 to 1900, we're complaining about like what the modern age going from like 1991 till now. You know, this thing's about, I don't know, 264 years for the Victorian age.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long, that's a long age.
1: <laughs> yeah. So very interesting. Very interesting. But, you know, that's the thing. The The Overstreet Price Guide is not just a price guide. It's about a third of it is articles and, you know, research and other stuff into comics. Right. So. There you be.
0: Very good. Well, that's about all I had to talk about. So, okay. Ready no, to wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay, it's been another episode of Best of the Rest. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can tweet the show at BOTR Comics. You can reach me at Jay Forgetts. I'm at Oot Inger. And we'll see you next time. Later.